Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Happy spring, everybody. Everything is beautiful outside, and we get a couple months of wonderful valley weather, and then the earth crust opens up and releases heat in the valley, and uh, it's like uh, not a fun place. So, uh, but let's enjoy it while we have it. Great to see you guys. Uh, Jason, thanks for doing our announcements. I was thinking the backstage, Jason, who we just brought on staff to run student ministry for us. I worked for Jason's dad 25 years ago, and I actually remember taking Jason, who was a five-year-old kid. I did uh, back in the day when I was an intern, they just make you do everything. And I uh, remember meeting him, and so what a blessing to go full circle and have him be on our team. Um, today we are finishing up First John, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 John chapter 5, we're looking at verse 18 through 21, the end of this book. It's been an awesome journey for me to be able to walk through this uh, letter to uh, share God's word with you guys each and every week. Uh, We'll be jumping into some Easter messages, actually in two weeks we start, uh, words from the cross. There are seven statements that Jesus made when he was on the cross, and they're powerful and the way they impact our lives the things that Jesus had said and mentioned from the cross. We'll be looking at that. And again, Easter is coming, so get those invite carts out. We do two services here on Easter Sunday morning. Both services are packed out. We want to see people come who are disconnected from church, people who have never uh, been to church. We want everyone to feel very welcome here. And so uh, we'd appreciate your help making that, um, making that happen. Uh, this letter was written to a group of Christians by the Apostle John. Uh, we think that he was writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And so John was about 100 years old when he wrote this letter. Uh, he gave us three reasons why he wrote this letter. We find in chapter 1 that he, he wrote this letter so that they would have joy, that a Christian would have joy and connection to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He uses this word fellowship over and over and over throughout this book to know God personally, to have fellowship with him, to walk with him. And that produces joy. And he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. That's something that God wants you and I to have as believers and followers of Christ and to have an internal joy that is completely separated from the happenings in our life. He also told us in chapter two that he wrote these things so that you may not sin. So we call that freedom. John wrote to that group of Christians so that they would be able to live a life apart from sin, where sin wasn't dominating, controlling their life any longer. And through the power of the cross, not only is our sin forgiven, something we're talking about this morning, but the power of sin's been broken in our lives, and that we don't have to live a life that is dominated by that sin any longer. And then the last one is in chapter 5. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. So assurance was a major uh, reason why John wrote this letter. There was a group of false teachers that had come through. And some messages about Jesus and what it means to follow him uh, had been trickling into the church. Uh, The New Testament has a lot to say about false teachings and how you and I are to be able to check it out to make sure uh, whether or not we're listening to people who are teaching things that are true. And so John gave them tests or criteria. One was doctrinal. Who is Jesus Christ? The book of 1 John talks all about that, talking about that Jesus was God from eternity. He came into this world. Uh, we, uh, we celebrate Christmas, the birth of the Son of God, but he was fully God and he was fully man. And so there was a doctrinal test. There was a moral test. If you claim to know God, uh, those who say, I, I, I know God, he said, or I, I walk in the light, he said, we should 
also, uh, as he is in the light, we should also walk in the light. There was a moral test, that group of people that were teaching these things. Their lives were so far away from a biblical Christian walk that John says that's a, that's a sure indicator that they actually don't know God. And the last one was social, that they would love one another. And so John said, look at their life. They have hatred in their heart for another person. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother or sister in Christ. And so those things cannot exist. Again, he, he says this word to know over and over and over in this letter because assurance is such a big part of the Christian life. Even as I mentioned that assurance of salvation, it's not dependent on our feelings and it's also not dependent on our good works, that assurance that's why John says in verse 13 of chapter 5, we who believe in the name of the Son of God, he says that you might know you have eternal life. So wrapping up this letter, it's kind of a summary of all, all the things that John has been talking about. In verse 18, he actually uses this word and following to know over and over. Three times he, sh- he shares it in this passage. And so if you're there with me, the end of John or 1 John chapter 5, let's read verse 18 together through 21. John says this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, speaking of Jesus, who was born of God, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in whom who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a great way to wrap it up. Back verse 21, it's almost like John's 100 years old. Where did that come from? Keep yourself from idols. We'll get into that in just a few moments. So here's what I want you to think about. And as you're taking notes today, uh, write these things down. You know that, that bulletin that you have? You know, there's a little back section. You could write what you need at Trader Joe's or Target after the service is over, but jot some notes down. A lot of times what I find it is when I'm listening to sermons or I'm at a church worshiping with other Christians is that God will speak to me. There might be a verse that is spoken, a verse that is said, something on the screen, and it's something that you can make reference to uh, as, you, you know, as you move along throughout your week as God begins to sort of draw, draw these things up within our hearts and souls so that we can continue to grow and further our walk with Jesus. So think about this, what John is saying, these things that we ought to know. I think about it in this way. Because we belong to Jesus, because we are his, because we are born of God, there are some things that John says we should know. Number one is this, is that because we belong to Jesus, sin no longer dominates our lives because we are born of God. Now this is a truth that he's repeated throughout this letter. He talks about it in John, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 when he said, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. And in chapter 3, verse 6, he said, And anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Now, John is not referring to the fact that you and I stumble, that we... Do do we have any fellow sinners here this morning? Right? Has any of your spouse sinned against you? No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to get into trouble this morning. So John is not saying that we don't have moments of yielding to temptation and to sin. He's already told us in the book, chapter 1... That when we sin, we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our iniquity. When John mentions here that they do not continue in sin, they're set free from that life. It's an ongoing lifestyle of sin, unbroken. 
It means that they're not a saved person. And because we have been born of God, yes, we still have a sin nature, that part within you that yields to sin, that part within you that wants to, you know, you want to serve God, you want to live for God, but then there's that other part of your life where you just go, man, I'm still so drawn to this world. I'm still so drawn to sin. I'm still so drawn to respond in these ways when people, you know, kind of mess with me. John is saying, because you are born of God, you have a new nature now. And, and because of that, you have new resources that you didn't have before you were saved. Because we belong to Jesus, sin doesn't continue to dominate our lives. Again, when he says this, that they no longer keep on sinning, that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is not, again, the sinless perfection doctrine. There's a group of people that claim to know Jesus, and they'll say things like, you can get to the spot where you never, ever sin ever again. And you're just like, let me talk to your child real quick. Hey, you know your dad said something stupid the other day. <clears throat> You'll never get to that spot. But you will sin less. And that's what John's making mention over and over again. We have a new nature. And sin doesn't have to have dominion over our lives anymore. Through the cross, how great is this? The penalty of sin has been paid. Spoiler alert, Jesus went to the cross, but he rose from the dead. And when he rose, don't tell your friends at Easter. Let it be a surprise. When he rose from the dead, the penalty of sin was removed. He took your sin, he took my sin, and he bore all of that on the cross. But through the cross, the power of sin has been broken. When a Christian sins and disobeys God, it's no longer like it was when we were uh, lost people where sin was the only thing that dominated our lives. When we sin now, it's out of our own choice, our own decision to yield to temptation. John says, listen, you have a new resource in the Holy Spirit who now dwells within you. It doesn't have to dominate your life anymore. I was reading through Romans chapter 6. It's a fantastic little uh, chapter about the the sin that is still can be a part of our lives and in this world and how you and I can be set free from it. And he says this, Paul writes in Romans 6 verse 11, he says, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Because we're born again, we actually have that ability to live for Jesus Christ, and to not let sin dominate our lives. You say, man, I've tried. Do you all have a, like a habit that you just go, like, man, I just keep stumbling over the same thing. I keep yielding to the same thing. It might be an attitude. It might be a thought. It might be actions that you and I uh, give into. You won't be able to beat it in and of yourself. And John gives us the clue on how we actually live that life that does honor God, where sin isn't dominating through Jesus Christ, who keeps us, by the way, but the power of God's spirit in your life is what gives you and I victory over those struggles. In our battle against sin, we remember John would tell us that we are in him, right? Because we know him, because we've been born again to him. We're born of God. We're adopted into his family. We have these resources available to us. Our struggle with our flesh by the way, it's a losing battle if it's in your own energies. You try this over and over. Oh, I'm just going to willpower. You know what I mean? I'm going to, um, you know, whatever it is. You, oh, I bought these tapes. No one buys tapes anymore. What am I talking about? I, I got these CDs or I downloaded this, this, this series, you know, that's going to help me actually get control. 
You and I gain victory when we recognize, God, I'm powerless. I need your Holy Spirit to, to, to live this life through me. Paul says something interesting. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I think that would include that prayer. God, I want victory over these sin struggles in my life. Because you belong to God, sin doesn't have to dominate your life any longer. In fact, it doesn't dominate your life any longer. Paul confesses the truth in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. So that's that new nature. I really want to live for God. But he says that old nature is still there, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Have you ever found yourself like that? You wake up in the morning before your feet hit the ground. You know, today, here's how you're going to respond when you see that person that maybe kind of gets under your skin a little bit. And you say, Lord, just help me, help me to be loving. Oh, man, what a great prayer meeting last night was. You know? and, and then you show up on a Friday to work, and you're just like, rah, 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 and you're just like wow, that escalated pretty quick, didn't it? You can't do it in and of yourself. And that's what Paul says. Man, right when I want to do right, man, I end up doing the wrong thing. He gives us a clue of how you and I get free from that cycle of giving in and yielding to sin. When he tells us at the end of that chapter, he says this. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says the words, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in him that we find freedom to get over those struggles. Do you have a struggle in your life where you just, man, I just feel like I just keep yielding to this? Surrender it to the Lord today. Confess it as, God, this is something that I'm allowing to continue to progress in my life, and it always brings death and destruction. Yield it to him this morning and say, God, I need your power to be within me to give me victory over the sin. Because you belong to Jesus, sin doesn't dominate your life anymore, nor mine. He tells us number two is this, is because we belong to Jesus, Satan has no power over us. I love what he says in verse 18. He says, but he who was born of God protects him. Speaking of Jesus, who was born of God when he was birthed into this world through the virgin mother Mary. He is the one who protects the Christian. Satan has no power over us. And he says the whole world, uh, by the way, we know that we are from God, or excuse me, verse 18, God, he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Because you now belong to God, guess what? Satan cannot touch, grasp, cling, or pull you out of God's grasp in his, uh, in his hands. You think about the, the thoughts that, you know, like, man, this world is corrupt. And by the way, when it says the whole world, it lies under the sway of the evil one. I think that you and I would all agree that when you look at what goes on in our world and the things that you and I used to participate in, you would go, man, certainly there is a devil. I don't even need to read the scripture to confirm that there is evil present in this world and Satan is in charge of this world. What John is telling us is that, of course, Jesus saved us, but he's the one who keeps us. He's the one who's born of God that protects us. I'm not my own. I now belong to him. And the keeping of my soul is not in my hands. Can I get an amen for that? The keeping of your soul is not in your hands either. It's in the one who is born of God who protects you and I. He keeps you and I. He saved you and he's not going to let you go. And he's the reason why we don't continue in that life of sin. I love what Jude writes Jude's a one-chapter letter uh, uh, by a guy named Jude. When we see him in heaven, we'll go, hey, Jude. 
Verse 24, he says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jude signs off his letter by saying, now, now I want to point you to God. He's the one who keeps you. And he's, gonna, he's the one that's going to present you blameless before the Father when you and I step into eternity. Because we belong to Jesus, Satan has no power over our lives except the power that you give him. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes saying, do, and do not give any place to the devil. And he spoke on, about that in regards to anger. In your anger, do not sin. And don't give any place to the devil. Where you just sort of open up the door a little bit. See, he can't touch you and I. You and I belong to God, but you and I can invite him into areas of our life through decisions, through thoughts, yielding to temptation. But Jesus, because he protects us, Satan can't grasp us. That word to lay hold cannot cling to us because we belong to Jesus. I love what Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me. And later on in that chapter he said, and the, no one is greater than the Father, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands either. How good is that to know this morning? That he adopted us and he will keep you and I safe. You and I might stumble and fall when we yield to moments of sin, but we'll never stumble and fall out of God's hands. If you're a believer this morning, that's what John, that's why he said, I want, I want to write to you those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. And even though you and I might stumble and fall, and even though you might have tripped up this week, God's forgiveness is upon your life, and his hand is upon your life, and no one can snatch you away from God. Verse 19, he says, we are from God, we know this to be true, but the world is under the control of Satan, the influence of Satan, and certainly we can see it. But our position is in Jesus, and we're protected by him, and we're separated from this world that is under the control of Satan. So because we belong to Jesus, sin doesn't dominate our lives anymore. Because we belong to Jesus, Satan has no power over us. And then I love what he tells us in, in uh, the next couple verses. Because we belong to Jesus, he says this in verse 20, and we may... And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true. Because you and I belong to Jesus, and I think this is really important for John's audience, because we belong to him, we are the ones who have a real relationship with God. You see, there was a group of people that were going around, again, spreading out false messages about who Jesus is and also about the Christian life, and they were called Gnostics. That's a word that simply means to know. They had this superior knowledge that was granted to them by God, and they were the ones that really knew God, and it was apart from Jesus, by the way. And John lets them know throughout this letter, that's a bogus teaching. Jesus is God. Jesus is also a man. He had a body. Jesus went to the cross as God, died on the cross as a man and God so that he could bring salvation to the world. And what John says is that, and we're the ones that have real relationship with God, that we might know him. That word, 39 times I think John uses it in this letter. Don't go counting right now. And if I'm wrong, just let me think I'm right. 
But I think it's like, let's just say it's under 3,000 times, give or take. It's a word that means, in fact, the Greek word is gnosko. It actually means to know by experience. It's a word that we find in Scripture uh, when it talks about Adam knew his wife intimately, speaking of their union together, emotional connection, physical connection. To know God like that. Because God has now made us born of him, we have a relationship with God. And he circles back to the, to the same theme that he began in chapter 1, that we might have fellowship with one another, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus told us eternal life is this, that you and I might know the one true God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. To know God personally. You think about all the layers of, you know, Christianity, some of you grew up going to church, and there's so many different layers, right, of, you know, do this, and you do this, and you dress like this, and all. You know, so much baggage that church people just sort of add on to Christianity. But Christianity is very simple at its basic level. It's not religion. Religion is human beings attempt to reach God. I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to reach God, and I'm going to have his favor on my life. Christianity says that none of us were actually searching for God, but he's the one who reached down to us. God became a man and lived among us so that he might reveal who God is to the world, but ultimately to go and die on the cross. You see, sin had broken relationship with God. You read in the book of Genesis, when sin entered this world, death came through that sin, and separation happened between us and God. When you are born physically in this world, you are born spiritually dead. Not mostly dead, right? All the way dead, spiritually, no pulse. And God is the one who reveals himself to you and I, and we believe, and now we have relationship restored. But it's all God. John says, because we belong to him, we're the ones that have a real relationship with God. Again, fellowship, eternal life, to know God. John says he arrived. He, he keeps bringing this idea up. This is a great test, by the way, if, if somebody has like a false belief about, you know, um, about, you know, religion or a false religion or someone comes knocking on your door saying, oh, we believe in Jesus too. John keeps letting us know that Jesus left heaven, became a man, the incarnation, right, when God became a man. 2,000 years ago, we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us or with us as God. So Jesus was a man. He arrived 2,000 years ago. He manifested himself, John tells us, in chapter 1. He has come. Again, it's not possible without, uh, salvation is not possible without Jesus becoming a man and living our lives. And then John says, and he gave us understanding. Your spiritual eyes were open at one point, and so were mine. And that's what John is revealing here is that, hey, Jesus has arrived, and he's given us an understanding of who is the one true God who Jesus is, what the cross did, who we are because we have believed. Again, given us the understanding, the ability to know him, to believe the gospel. And by the way, it has to be given. You and I cannot attain it on our own. Again, the Bible's clear that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that it's God who made us alive in Christ Jesus. That's not something that we have done. Salvation, relationship with God, it's all him. It's all because of him. If this morning you're here today with assurance that you're saved and you've believed the gospel, 
That's because God loves you, and God chose to reveal himself to you. That wasn't you and I. It wasn't you and I are not Christians today because, well, gee, my grandma was a Christian, so I'm sort of like in. That's not how it works. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. You've got to make that decision, and when it happens, it's the, one, it's the thing that God has given to you as that gift, that gift of eternal life. He says he's given us understanding so that we may know him. Again, personal relationship with God, to live in fellowship with him. Let me encourage you today. Your relationship with God is something that needs to be cultivated. It's not going to progress just like any other relationship you have. If you're married today, if your marriage is not in a good spot, it's because you're not choosing to cultivate uh, that relationship, any friendships you have, right, with your boss or your, you know, buddies or friends or whatever, that relationship progresses because you choose to cultivate it, right? You have dialogue, you have hangout times, and you're getting closer together. You open yourself up. Well, that's the way it is with God. You want to feel closer to God? You want to move closer to God? By the way, it, it, if you feel distant from God, he, it's not because he moved back. It's because you and I have pulled away. Fellowship is the reason, why, uh, the reason why Jesus Christ came, so you and I can know God personally. So can I encourage you? Build that relationship with him. Spend time in his word. You'll notice that we have Bibles, like hard copies of the Bible, available on Sunday mornings. Using your phone, I, don't, I think you get half credit reading your Bible with just your phone. I'm just kidding. That's, I just made that up. However, if you can see how your um, brackets are doing right now, and you have your Bible, maybe it might be a little distraction. So you get a hard copy of the Bible. Take one. Take one. They're free, available for everybody. So you can mark it up. Not like, oh, I don't like that. No, I don't want to have that going on in my life. But <laughs> underline it. You know what I mean? Put an arrow right there and go like, oh, I need this. I need this in my life. There, there's, I've read the Bible a lot of times in my life. And certainly as a pastor, it's my privilege to be able to study God's word. But I, I know that, man, there's this one verse that's in Psalm somewhere, but I don't know where it is, but I know it's on the left upper side, you know what I mean? I know I underlined it, and then I just start turning, 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 and going, oh, there it is right there. Put a little marker there. I meditate on that verse. I don't know aisle, um, I don't know what aisle, the, uh, uh, what's, that, what's that one uh, pizza, California, I don't know what aisle California frozen pizzas are at Save Mart, but I know I can walk down that aisle with my eyes closed, and you want to know something else? They're on sale for $4.99 right now, okay? So just a heads up for you. How do I know that? Because Tammy and I got two of them last night. We're like, look at this. It's almost like two for one. My staff always says that I get distracted in my sermons, and then they always say, I always say, where was I? And right now, I'm not going to say that because I don't want to have to deal with them tomorrow on Monday morning. So I'm just going to collect myself for a second. You could just keep praying for me like I know you are. Oh, that's right, the Bible and California pizzas. Spending time in God's Word. Spending time talking with God. Showing up on a consistent basis to worship God with God's people. That relationship grows. God says, because you belong to Him, you and I are the ones who have a real relationship with God. It's not based on some bogus Jesus that they were selling. It's based on the living God. And that's the best thing that you have going for your life. So cultivate it. Walk with God. 
You want a better 2019? I promise if you have a great year, it will be in connection to you getting closer to Jesus. As we close out the year and listen to Mariah Carey like try her best to sing, you know, as the apple balls dropping in New York, she needs to just stop, right? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Boy, it was a train wreck a couple years ago. You know what I'm saying. You're like, I was reading my Bible at the close of the, end of the year. You look back on your year and go, man, why was this a better year? Oh, it's because I made effort to walk with God. I got up a little earlier. I went out at lunchtime. Instead of like hanging out with people, I just sat in my car and I just read my Bible and began to talk with God. It'll be the best part of your life, I promise. And that's what God wants. He wants you to be close to him. You learn to hear from him. You learn to obey him. You walk closely with him. Your desires for him grow. And John lets us know that this real relationship is based on Jesus being God. He says, so that we might know him. He is true. We are in him, who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Many times John has reiterated this fact that Jesus is God, Jesus is man, but he's also God. Because, again, that's where it starts to break down. False religions out there that have a hint of Christianity, you get to brass tacks. Who is Jesus Christ according to you guys and your prophets? Well, Jesus was created. Eh, wrong answer. Jesus always existed as God. 2,000 years ago, he became a man. See, John, he began that in chapter 1. He says, and this eternal life was manifested among us. He became a man. And here he wraps up his letter by saying, and eternal life is with, or, and eternal life, and this is the one true God and eternal life. John connects Jesus with man, and he is the one true God, the eternal life. Holy God, fully man. We talk about that a lot here because that's who Jesus is. And it's important that we understand that truth and that doctrine. And it's through him we can know God. That relationship is protected uh, by our position in him. He says again that we are in him. And then he gets to this last sentence, little children. I love that. He began this letter. He talks a lot about little children. Again, they tell us in his, his history records that John was this old man who they would carry around because he was just old and just body falling apart. And he would look down upon them as they would cruise around into villages and he would teach and share the gospel and share God's truth. And he would say, little children love one another. Well, now he wraps up by saying, little children, keep yourself from idols. Because we belong to Jesus, because we have this real relationship with God, we need to protect it and guard it. So we, our souls are protected by God, but that relationship, our walk with God, that's something that you and I are in charge of. Because we belong to him, here's the fourth thing. We should guard our hearts from what? Anything that gets in the way of fellowshipping with God. Sin, for sure. But here John mentions specifically idols. We find throughout Scripture that this is a biblical truth that you and I are to watch ourselves. Watch out. Be alert, right? Because Satan is like a, prowl, a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. We're told to guard our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Paul told the church in Corinth, so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols, 
We're the ones with a real relationship with the one true God, and we should guard it. And John says, guard it against idolatry. Idolatry, and I'm, I know you're thinking like, man, I don't have any statues I bow down to. But idolatry, though, the, it is certainly in reference to statues and false gods and images. Behind that worship was actually a belief system that that thing is actually now more important than the one true God. That thing is going to creep into my life and actually cause division between my relationship with God. The uh, part of the Ten Commandments, you and I shall have no other gods before us. So what kinds of things can creep in our lives? Again, idolatry is the worship of man-made images made of wood, silver, gold, right? There's British idols, there's American idols. In their day, an idol represented something because their heart was drawn away from the Lord. Idolatry really is just giving love and attention to something above God. Paul told the church, uh, the Colossians, he says this, don't be greedy. Does anyone struggle with greed? Point to someone who's greedy in this room. No, don't do that. It's like, dude, the church is messed up, calling people out left and right. We all struggle with greed. Do you know what? Paul links greed to? He says this, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Thinking more stuff is going to make us happier, it just gets in the way of our walk with God. Many people have ruined their lives through that idolatry, right? Greed. But it can be anything. It kind of just comes down to whatever is your master passion in life. It could be your image. A lot of us struggle with our image image how people view us and see us and we manage that and when someone finds out that you and I are less than perfect oh it just irks us because gee they think truthful thoughts about you you're like oh I didn't want anyone to know that I'm not human or that I'm you know struggle your career could be your idol your children could be your idol your spouse could be your idol your hobby your ministry. Many pastors have like sunk their lives and crumbled because it wasn't Jesus that they were serving. It was their big image and their big church or their big ministry. That, that was their idol. That's what they worshiped. And it could be the downfall of a lot of us. Anything that comes between you and God. Jeremiah told, uh, God told the children of Israel through Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 13, one of my favorite verses, says, My people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. A Christian can actually veer back thinking, oh, this is going to satisfy me. And what Jeremiah is calling us out on is saying, here's what you're doing. You're forsaking The fountain of living water. By the way, that's what you're after, right? And you're digging cracked, broken vessels that can't hold any water. So you abandon something that actually promises to give you life only to find that you're you're chasing after something that's just emptiness. And you can go back and forth in your Christianity. That's why John says, let me wrap up this letter by saying, flee from idols, Many good people have fallen away from a passionate walk with Jesus because they allowed something else other than Jesus to capture their heart. What's in danger of capturing your heart this morning? What's an area of your life where idolatry 
can sort of sneak in your life. And it's putting a wedge between you and your relationship with God. This isn't about the danger of losing your sonship or your daughtership, the fact that you belong to God, that he's your heavenly parent. This has to do with fellowship, again, what this letter's about. Knowing God and walking with him. Idols will never satisfy the inner cravings of our life. So John warns them. You know, I, I, I find myself coming to this place, and I, I want you, I want to I encourage you to be at this place too, where we pray often, Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. Psalm 139, verse 23, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Like David, we need to ask God, search our hearts. We need to examine ourselves. We have a relationship with one true God, but we've got to protect that relationship. Is there anything that's creeping in your life? You know how we spend our time, oh Lord, you're so important to me, but we have no time for his word, but we seek out so much entertainment, right? Lord, your kingdom is so important to me, but all of our finances are spent on fleshly pursuits and not investing in kingdom work. We have real life because of Jesus. We have a relationship with him. We're not to let anything get in the way of that, but we do. We thank God for his grace this morning as you things pop up in your mind. This is something that's been pulling me away from God. You know what you do as we worship? Lord, thank you for revealing that to me. And God, I want to forsake that right now. I want to ask you to forgive me right now. And forgiveness is granted the moment you and I seek it. Maybe today you need some victory. Go back to that part where if you're born of him, Sin doesn't dominate your life. Maybe this morning is a morning you just need to put your foot down and say, God, I've been trying to get this out of my life for so long. I'm going to go your way. Maybe it's victory this morning. Confess that sin that you keep getting hung up on. Ask God for strength. Ask him for forgiveness. Go to one of our, our friends that will be over in the prayer tables this morning. Get a group of people in your life, some accountability, and say, man, I'm asking God to give me victory over this sin that I keep tripping up over. And would you pray with me that God would give me strength and give me victory? It might be an idol that's a part of your life. Maybe you're here this morning and we're talking about having eternal life and knowing God personally. And maybe this morning, it, it, for you, it's actually about you need a relationship with God. This morning, you're not certain that if you were to die, you'd spend eternity with him in heaven. You don't have forgiveness this morning. You know, right where you're sitting, you can tell God, God, I want you to come into my life. God, I want you to make me a new person. God, I want you to forgive me. God, I want you to make me a part of your family. God, I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, that I'm going to spend eternity with you in heaven. You don't have that assurance this morning. You can have it by simply committing your life to Jesus, believing in what he said he did on the cross for you.